I think there's a bit of a gap. I think building materials is a bit of an old guard and there's a gap in technology between building materials and maybe some other segments that are out there. And I think we're at a catch up phase right now. I think the growing demand and the growing normalization of steel roofing is demanding that technology in our industry begins catching up. Welcome to the Construction Disruption Podcast, where in just a few minutes each week, we uncover the future of building and remodeling. Join us as we explore an industry that is constantly involved, evolving with new products, new designs, new practices, and new technologies. From builders to remodelers to executives, as well as some folks we bring in from time to time with entirely outside perspectives, each episode of Construction Disruption meets with forward thinkers as well as those simply in the know of the construction industry who are able to share their own unique insights. Construction Disruption is sponsored and created by Isaiah Industries, a manufacturer of specialty metal roofing systems and other building materials. My name's Todd Miller, and my co-host today is our sales manager, Seth Heckman. Uh, behind the scenes, we have Ryan Bell and uh, Ethan Young is popping around back there as well. So it's kind of interesting. Seth and I kind of represent two ends of the spectrum, if you will, in building materials. And um, by that, basically, I mean, I'm the old guy and he's the young guy. Um, Seth's age pretty much puts him kind of smack dab in the middle of uh, Generation Y, the dreaded millennials. And my age kind of has me, I, I always like to point this out, I'm kind of at the very young end of baby boomers. I have a hard time admitting I'm a boomer. So I, I just, okay, boomer, thank you. Um, but I, I, I also said dreaded millennials um, because I actually find millennials to be great to work with, um, and, and we have quite a few around here. Um, they tend to like to know what's expected of them, and I like that. Um, but they also don't necessarily, and Seth and I, we've run into this a few times, he doesn't necessarily like to do things just because I'm saying, well, that's the way we've always done it, Seth. <laughs> and, and so I think that's fantastic that he likes to push at things and know, you know, why are we really doing it this way? And are there better ways? Are there simpler ways? Are there um, more efficient ways or ways really that serve our customers better as well? Um, so I've also found that millennials and working with Seth uh, and, and others, they they really like to see purpose and meaning uh, in what they're doing. Um, so to me, the, the millennials, because of that, because they like to see purpose, because they push at those boundaries sometimes, because they push at the why are we doing this, um, I think they're the ones that are really going to cause disruption in our industry as they mature and they take over top leadership spots in construction over the next 10 to 15 years. And I think that's really exciting. So, um, Seth, before we dive into things today with uh, this episode's special guest, Guest, who is Adam Clark of Best Buy Metals. I'm, I'm wondering, could you share with us one or two of the things that are really occupying a lot of your time and attention today? And again, like we said, you're our sales manager here at Isaiah Industries. So what are the things that are really taking a lot of your time right now? Sure, uh, absolutely. But before uh, jump into that, I do just want to acknowledge and how much I have appreciated in my 
going on 12 years here, the the culture that you have built here at Isaiah Industries, you and Kelly and, and others of um, bringing in millennials and newer generations and, and building a cohesive culture around the, the qualities and values everyone brings and, and trying to lead us all in that direction. And also a culture that provides that, that meaning and that why, uh, trying to always look forward. But... Um, yeah, we've got a few exciting things going on uh, here right now uh, this year, and it keeps coming up consistently uh, over and over again on these episodes of the construction disruption. But, um, you know, this year has been dominated by the supply chain challenges that we're seeing all across the industry, and no manufacturer has been uh, immune to those. So we've spent a lot of time and energy, both of us, uh, trying to make the most of every pound. You do more than me. <laughs> you, you spent a lot of time on it. But uh, yeah, make the most of every pound, stretch it, get creative with what we're doing, and, and really just trying to limit the impact on uh, customers as much as we can. Um, something I'm proud of, too, going back to that, that culture element here, is we take a little bit of a different philosophy, I think, uh, when it comes to, to filling customer needs, especially in these times where uh, there's so little to go around where rather than a big dog eats first mentality where we really um, take customer size and volume into greatest consideration when it comes to that, we really are trying to uh, take everyone's needs into account, kind of limit the exposure across uh, all of us rather than unduly impacting any, any single customer and any of our on the lower end of the volume spectrum customers. Um, and really, for us, I think comes back to one of our core values of relationships. We we value every single relationship, but then, two, we're we are well aware that if we lose an install day anywhere out in the field, uh, in anywhere in the country, we do not get that day back. And uh, if we lose a day of skilled labor, our most valuable asset uh, that any of us have at this given moment, we never get it back. And if we have too many of those, those skilled laborers go find something else to do. Yeah, and so, uh, trying to keep keep every crew as busy as we possibly can and, and being mindful of that and everyone's needs. Um, that's been a juggling act sometimes uh, this year. Um, but so it's taken up a lot of time, but I think uh, our customers uh, have appreciated that and, and it's felt good that we're making that best effort. Yeah, it's always good when we can tell them, hey, this is the way we're doing things. And, you know, we've pushed at people a little bit this year saying, hey, Get your orders in early, even if you know that you aren't going to need it for a while, um, because that at least allows us to plug you into the queue. Um, and then, of course, we've been doing a lot of things behind the scenes with smaller paint runs than normal and things just to try to meet those needs and keep things flowing. So. Thank you for your efforts on that. I appreciate it, Seth. So um, our guest today on Construction Disruption is the Chief Operating Officer of Best Buy Metals, uh, Mr. Adam Clark. Um, like my friends Seth and Ryan and Ethan here, um, Adam is also a millennial, correct? You, you kind of fit right in there. Um, and, and he's just like Seth and, and Ryan, um, he's already in a strong leadership role in the building materials industry. So um, I'm surrounded today by Gen Y, and, and I'm anxious to learn from you all. So um, Seth and I recently had the opportunity to spend a couple of days with Adam and several other great team members uh, of the Best Buy Metals team um, at their corporate headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, and I have to say, I was overwhelmed by you guys' hospitality 
your professionalism, your commitment to integrity. Um, but I was also really what I was was stunned by was just the breadth and the diversity of the type of work that you folks are getting involved in. Um, kind of interesting. So the latest numbers that I, I'm not even sure they've been released yet, but they're just coming out, um, show metal at a 15% share of the residential roofing, uh, residential re-roofing market. Um, and that was for 2020. Um, 2019 numbers, I think, were 12%. So that's a huge leap from 2020 to 2021 in the midst, uh, or excuse me, 2019 to 2020 in the midst of the pandemic. Um, but anyway, again, that 15% mark, that's that's the highest it's ever been. Um, that's great growth for an industry over the years. And you folks at Best Buy um, have certainly been a big driver um, behind that growth. And we appreciate all you do for our industry. So um, Adam started as general manager with Best Buy Metals in 2009, um, and he served as the fast-growing company's chief operating officer for the past four years. Um, he has a bachelor's degree in business administration from Lee University. When I was down there, I had a chance to drive that main drag through the beautiful campus, and I enjoyed that. Um, but I have to tell you, Adam um, is one of the most forward-thinking, most positive people um, I've ever had the opportunity to work with. So, um, Adam, no one's going to tell your story and the Best Buy Metal story better than you. So, before we dig into some meatier questions focusing on the future of our industry, um, love it if you could just kind of open up with sort of an overview of your company and, and tell us a bit about what you do there. Yeah, sure. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. I'm excited to to be here and spend some more time with uh, with uh, the team there at Isaiah Industries. I always appreciate the uh, the wealth of knowledge that I feel like I come away with every time we get a chance to speak. Um, yeah, so uh, Best Buy Metals is a metal roofing manufacturer, roofing and siding, and we primarily focus on um, the through fasten market. Um, so that's your agricultural panel, or uh, and that's going to be uh, you know kind of a, a, a Bigger demographics, it, hit, it hits a certain um, price point for a lot of people looking to get into the metal roofing um uh, world and for us, we feel like we can serve that industry really well through some of the the services and some of the value that we're able to offer. So, like Todd was saying, you know, we uh, we love serving people, and I think that really came from uh, our focus of being a retailer first. So when I started with Best Buy Metals, we weren't even manufacturing at the time, actually. We were buying from another manufacturer, and we were retailing metal. And I think that really got us kind of connected with the customers in a unique way. And when our volume started to grow, and we realized that maybe we could serve our customers even better by manufacturing and offering products still in that retail model, um, that's where we really started to take off. Uh, we were able to sh cut down on lead times. We were able to control quality uh, a little bit better. And uh, we were able to offer a really unique customer service experience um, from a manufacturer's perspective, not just from uh, a retailer or distributor's perspective. So our model is really focused on dealing with homeowners and contractors. That's the space that we love to live. And, um, you know, part of my role here is to keep us focused on that. It's it's sometimes easy to be distracted by these six and sometimes seven figure projects. And when we can get them, that's great. But um, sometimes our team needs to be reminded that if we waste too much resources on those projects that a lot of people are going after, we miss the ability to serve the people in our own communities that we really are able to connect with in a unique way. 
Wow, that's interesting, and and I know we've experienced that also, and and even contractors um, who always get excited about a big project, I'm always like, yeah, don't forget about what that's got to, what the opportunity cost is of that. So, um, but great that you guys get involved with some big stuff as well. Um, curious, how did you come to intersect? with Best Buy Metals. I mean, was construction industry, was that always a dream of yours growing up or what happened to kind of connect you with Best Buy? Sure. Well, I happened to move to, to Cleveland, Tennessee to go to Lee University. So that was kind of the driving force that brought me uh, south. I'm actually from northern Vermont, so uh, New Englander. Um, but I came down here and I graduated um, like I thought was normal in four years, but most of my friends uh, decided to hang out in college for a little bit longer. So I kind of hung around Cleveland as well, and I was actually working at a Sears store that was here in Cleveland, if that tells you how long ago that might have been now. <laughs> um, and believe it or not, I was working kind of adjacent to um, the owner of Best Buy Metal's mother-in-law, and she saw oh, wow. me working, and she saw you know my work ethic and the way I communicated with customers, and uh, she, there was a, a, a sales opening here at the Cleveland office, and she's like, hey, you should go apply for that job. Uh, so I did, and uh, actually, yeah, I I came on as a as a sales rep slash forklift driver slash really anything that had to be done. You know, we were about six people um, in the sales and admin office at that point in time, and we weren't doing any manufacturing. So um, everybody wore a lot of hats back then. So, no, I, I don't know that I necessarily had um, an underlying passion for the building materials world. But I'll tell you what I do now. Uh, I, I love this industry. I love what we do here. I love that we're empowered to impact our communities and, and beyond. And I'm really passionate about being a steel guy. There's just something about being in this industry that feels, you know, gritty and tough. And, uh, and, I, and I really appreciate that. Wow, that's cool. And, and I appreciate the reference that we all wear a lot of hats. And yeah. yeah, we do that here. I make the joke often that when folks... Uh, when I meet folks and they're like, oh, what do you do there? And I say, well, I fill the soda machines and I mow the right. front yard. <laughs> and yeah, that can literally sometimes be the case. So, um, yeah, one of the things, and, and you talk about your connection to the community and caring about the communities that you're in. Um, to me, I've always looked at Best Buy Metals. I've respected the fact that you have been a bit of a disruptor in our industry by oftentimes making that direct connection between products and consumers, homeowners, property owners, um, which former to you guys wasn't done a whole lot. I mean, it, that really has been pretty disruptive. And and I, do you see that as a trend that you think other sectors of building products will follow? Yeah, I mean, I think that we see it. If you kind of look up the stream, you're starting to see mills and, and paint lines coming together. You're starting to see partnerships between um, coil suppliers and, and, and brokers and distributors. Uh, there, there's a lot of, I guess, um, consolidation happening right now upstream. And I think it's all about being able to create um, a, a more unified experience for whoever the end user is. You know, if we're buying coils, um, the mill and the paint provider and our broker are now kind of in this unique chain, which has made our process much easier and we're able to get a little bit more transparency in the process. We think that that's going to trickle down to every segment of, of, the, of the supply chain. So, yeah, I think, you know, for Best Buy Metals, again, we have the background in retail. That's kind of where our roots were. But I do think that's a trend that people are. You, always, you, know, you start to hear manufacturer direct or, you know, direct selling. And 
what we've discovered is there are a lot of um, people distributing materials who know as much as we know because we manufacture it. Uh, and so we think it's almost a disservice to our customers to say, okay, we're going to sell it to somebody who's going to sell it to you, but they don't know as much about the product as we do, and they're not going to educate you and inform you as well as we do. So I do think that you know customers have more access to information. I think they're going to demand more from suppliers, and I think that you're going to see this consolidation where you have a lot more um, of an interwoven structure between the people making the products and buying the products and selling the products so that the end user kind of has access to all of the relevant information. I, I will say this, though. It's hard. You know, I look at what we do here and the sales force that we have to have to sell direct to consumers. And our sales force is pretty big for the total revenue, the top line revenue that we do. I think if, right. if we were compared to another supplier who may be focused on wholesale distribution, they might be able to do with two people what we do with 10 people, you know? And so right. we have to kind of think about that. Is, do I think that's the way that it's going? I, I do. I think that uh, I think the end user will demand that. Um, is it an easy transition to go from distribution to retail? I think it's a really tough transition. I think it will take some time for people to get there. That's interesting. It sounds really familiar because uh, I think we're in that a similar position where our customer service and sales teams are in-house sales teams are three times the size of our competitors. And sometimes I think about why do we have to work so dang hard mm -hmm. compared to, you know, what, what they're doing and what are we missing? But, you know, there's there's a powerful, unique selling proposition there, that connection and that knowledge. And we're every day having 45-minute conversations with a homeowner in some far-flung place of the country trying to sell them a roof. And I think you guys are in a similar spot. And it it's rewarding. And it also positions you very uniquely and uh, gets people's attention. Uh, so what pitch Best Buy a little bit more for us. So, you know, you talked about, you know, that knowledge. You're talking about the service level. What are the other key elements of your like I said, unique value proposition you're taking to folks. And then also, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that service plays out. What does that mean on a, you know, nuts and bolts level? How does that manifest on a daily basis? Sure. Well, I mean, um, you know, customer service is our number one core value and, and our number one competitive advantage. So um, that's what we can focus on first, I guess. But, you know, we, we have a we have a policy. If the phone rings, it, it's answered. If it's not answered by the third ring, it rings at my office for all of our stores, all six of our locations. And I don't have to answer very many calls. You know, our customers expect us to be available when they need us and they expect us to be present um, when they need us. And I expect our team to execute on that. And when my phone starts ringing because we're missing calls, we're either extremely busy or somebody needs to be held accountable to take care of our customers. So uh, customer service has always been the driving force behind Best Buy Metals. Again, our retail focus and our, our, care, our, our heart to care for people well has driven that. Um, so I often hear people and we often get reviews where um, uh, customers or even individuals just visit our facilities are saying, wow, it just feels different coming in here. I'm, I'm greeted with a smile and people are friendly and people seem energized and excited about the work that they're doing. You know, Seth, you talked about culture at Isaiah Industries. I think that you can't serve your customers extremely well unless you have a team that feels joyful in the work that they're doing. So um, that's something that we that we try really hard to. Uh, to keep the center of our bullseye is our internal culture and how it affects our customer service. 
Some of the other services that we offer, uh, and we could talk about these in, I guess, a, a specific order. Customer service, of course, is number one. Um, lead time is number two for us. You know, we have customers, um, much like you guys do, who are on deadlines and they need things done. And, and maybe sometimes they can't get paid if it's a contractor. They can't get paid until the project is complete. So we pride ourselves on having really industry-leading turnaround time. Um, you know, at our at our Cleveland, Tennessee office, which is our, our largest facility, it's our headquarters, if a customer places an order by 10 a.m., they'll have it same day. I mean, that's our commitment. Uh, if they wow. place it after 10 a.m., we'll have it within 24 hours of the order date. Um, again, just like having a more robust sales team to take care of customers in a unique way, well, it changes the way that we manufacture, too. You know, um, people in the industry may be familiar with this, but sometimes we have to change to green or charcoal coil three or four times a day, it would be most efficient to put one coil on, you know, a, a color on and run every job for that, you know, 24 hour period. But our model just dictates that we do things a little bit differently. So lead time is another competitive advantage and core value that we, that we focus on. Um, some of the other services that we offer are, um, deliveries, residential deliveries. There's there's a lot of people who won't take materials out to a job site, especially a residential job site, because it's hard, you know, but we right. um, help design and, and, uh, and we run special roller trailers where we can get into really tight residential areas. You know, we're in Asheville, North Carolina, where you're up in the mountains and you're doing these beautiful log homes. They have to get the metal roof up there. And so we have the, we have the means to make those those difficult deliveries that other people may not be able to make. Um, you know, some of our quoting services are also unique. We offer free quoting to anybody who just is curious about roofing. Um, we've got a whole division dedicated to that. So uh, anyone who's interested, they go to metalroofingquote.com. They plug in their physical address and we use satellite imagery. And within 24 hours, they'll have a metal roofing quote back really for any product that they want, including, um, you know, the, the eyes industry shingles. Uh, and then finally, price consistency is our last. You know, those are the five core um, uh, competitive advantages or values that we try to introduce to the customer. And just like you know everybody else, we've had to adjust our pricing this year to account for increased cost of goods. But we've we've been committed to a pricing model that's consistent, that's reliable, uh, and that customers can come to know as being fair market. Awesome. Thank you. That exciting to hear all you guys are doing and implementing. I can't imagine the how on your game from a system standpoint you have to be to not know all you've got to do make that day until ten AM. So um that we'll talk about that some other time. But that sure. uh, testament stuff. to your organization too. Good stuff. I, I, I'm gonna step in and share an old guy story if I can, real quick. So um you guys were talking about, you know, how this change in um distribution channels and, you know, has affected things and, and, you know, how we see that as an ongoing part, not necessarily always having all these layers of distribution. Well, I remember a story, um, this was in the olden days. Um, so a guy, um, pulled up to his workplace and was out in California, pulled up to his workplace in his truck, opens up the door and blam from about 30 yards away, um, someone just blows the door off his truck with a shotgun. And this was all about someone being very upset because he was trying to go around distribution channels. And this was probably 35 years ago. Um, so, I mean, you guys, it's stuff you're starting to take for granted. This was serious stuff when it was, you know, disrupted. So, again, a lot to Best Buy Metals for being that disruptor because I agree 100%. 
Um, we don't necessarily need all these layers that just make things more difficult, more expensive, more convoluted, and also just take <clears throat> the end customer, the end consumer further away from you know who has the information. And we appreciate that some people don't um, like the model or don't appreciate the model. And there's a lot of industries where it doesn't work, but what we've what we've decided is that, you know, to serve our customers best. If we thought that serving the customer best uh, could be done through distribution, that's what we do. But our, our decision, our core decision making is based off of serving people well. And we really feel like this is the model that makes the most sense for us. Um, it, it's a maintainable and sustainable model. Um, and other people who uh, may not like it. They they may not like it because it's hard, and we're willing to do the hard work that they may not be willing to do. Absolutely. So that certainly puts you in a unique position of you know having those conversations and having a finger on the pulse of that consumer. Um, what are you hearing from them lately, and has that changed at all? What are what are the driving forces um, behind their decisions? Yeah, um, you know. I, I'm not really surprised to hear that um, metal roofing is continuing to grow in the residential re-roof segment. I think uh, customers are understanding that all building material products are going up. Uh, metal roofing is part of that, but so is asphalt shingles and uh, slate and cement and you know and wood shake it, it's it's all being affected so we don't really see a lot of customers saying well you guys metal is too expensive it doesn't make sense really it's almost the opposite we see a lot of people saying okay well we realize that um metal roofing is going to last so long it offers great value over the life of the system and if i don't have to worry about replacing it in 12 years you know because who knows how expensive shingles or, or whatever product is going to be in 12 years well i i they start to see and, and they're feeling the value because of the longevity of the systems. And that's all part of the education that we're trying to introduce to our customers. And, you know, we have a side by side comparison. You know, here's a 40 year metal roofing system versus an asphalt shingles, shingle system that may you may get 12 years of life out of. If you have to replace asphalt shingles three times at an inflated cost of materials and an inflated cost of labor. At that 40-year mark, it's really surprising that, you know, you're going to have to make this huge investment in shingles. So the initial investment between shingles and, and metal is, is really pretty similar in our segment of the world, at least. Um, but the long-term value of the system really speaks to the customer. So, and as far as contractors go... <laughs> they can still make money. You know, they're, they're not, it's not to a place where they can't make money. I think if it got there, then everything would come to a screeching halt, but it's more expensive, no doubt, but everybody still sees opportunities out there. Uh, you know, I, I think the infrastructure bill is going to um, put more money out there for people to, um, to, to spend on home renovations. And I think that's going to be a good thing for our industry. Yeah. Good point. So if we look at, you know, materials, product designs, technology, maybe even other things, where do you see some of the bigger disruptors coming from to our industry um, down the road? I, I mean, I think technology for sure is 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 the the most obvious one to me. We we leverage a lot of technology in a unique way. You know, the way that we quote and the way that we. Um, get the quoting process started with our customers by giving them the opportunity to get a no risk, you know, free quote, um, you know, by leveraging some of the technology that's available, we're able to do that. I also think technology is going to um, affect the way that um, customers are going to 
begin buying. We've actually started an e-commerce division because that's the world that we live in. Thanks, Amazon. You know, we have to make it as easy for the customer as we can. And there are some complexities with metal roofing assemblies or systems, but there are components that can be sold um, relatively easily on an e-commerce platform. So we're rolling that out. And uh, you guys met Nathan Libby. You guys know Nathan. Uh, He's actually working on, you know, how do we get a turnkey project available to customers um, on an e-commerce platform? And that's a little more complicated, you know, and and we obviously don't want to lose our ability to interact with customers and sell some of the other value that we think we can bring to the table and that our products can bring to the table. But technology is is really the the thing that stands out. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hover. Um, You know, you can actually go out and just take pictures of a a building and it generates all the dimensions. I mean, that technology is just unreal. And I think there's a bit of a gap. I think building materials is a bit of an old guard and there's a gap in technology between building materials and maybe some other segments that are out there. And I think we're at a catch-up phase right now. I think the growing demand and the growing normalization of steel roofing is demanding that technology in our industry begins catching up. Yeah, interesting. Anything in particular you see in the future of Best Buy Metals that you'd want to clue us at all that you see? And I love what you're doing with the e-commerce site and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, you know, we're really excited about a number of things. The e-commerce is certainly exciting. It's kind of a new space for us, even though we've had a national sales team that sells all over the country. We've not had a platform that's been really robust to get, you know, materials out, a bag of screws or uh, you know, basic products out to customers in a very easy um, way. So we're excited about that. We're also really excited about um, our pole barn division with steel trusses. Um, you know, we just... During the pandemic, you know, people being home and needing to find ways to utilize the space that they were kind of allowed to be in, um, steel trusses became really, really popular. You know, we had these 10 by 10s or these 20 by 20 um, roof only trust, uh, steel trust um, structures going up. People were putting fire pits under there. People were putting TVs out there. They, you know, they were kind of tailgating in their own backyard, um, rain or shine. Now that they had some coverage, so uh, our steel, our steel trust uh, division, American Pole Barns, is really, really exciting. Um, we think that that's going to be a big part of of our future, and we're we're about ready to kind of spread our wings a little bit more geographically as well. Every few years, we, we, we launch a, a new location, uh, and we're kind of right there, ready to, to get out into some new communities. So, um, you know, I won't maybe spill any more beans than that. But, um, you know, we our model um, best serves the, the communities that we're directly located in. So having a physical presence in, in these communities that we that we identify could really benefit from us being there. Um, that's another thing we're focused on right now. Well, and I see that as nothing but a good thing as you guys expand your footprint. And I saw the uh, videos over the weekend you were posting of the American Pole Barn, the steel trusses going up, and I was just fascinated. I kept tuning in to see if you had any updates or anything going on, and uh, what a great-looking structure in the end uh, as far as how it turned out. So, Yeah, we, that was actually right down the road from our, our office here. I've got a, uh, a, a buddy who had reached out to me, and he wanted to do a lean-to extension off of one of his buildings, and I said, we've got the perfect solution for you. <laughs> He's like, if it's perfect, you need to come down here and show me how to install. So I was down there helping him out with it. And that was a ton of fun. And just the ease of installation is just unbelievable. And I think that's one of the things that's so attractive to most people. Well, I thought, you know, hey, if Mason's out there doing it, anyone can do right, it. Right, exactly. Was, that that's exactly right. 
So what are some of the biggest challenges that you see facing the metal roofing industry today? And uh, we probably all know where you may go with that, but maybe not. Um, but what sort of long-term changes do you see coming from those challenges? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people would say cost of goods, you know, cost of steel, availability of steel. And, and maybe that's part of it. I think the biggest um, maybe threat that we have is there's now a bigger gap between good quality products and inferior products. And that's one of my concerns and one of my fears is that uh, if the gap between a 40-year or a lifetime warranted paint system um, is, is too much more expensive than a secondary system, customers may start thinking um, you know, about going with the least expensive option if, if there's a big enough gap between the two. And I think that may open the door for people to start um, squeezing in some inferior products. So I think for us, if we're doing our job well and we're selling the value of what we do and the products that we have, we can try to insulate at least the communities and, and, and our sphere of influence from that. But um, I am a little bit concerned about um, inferior products starting to come in and really um, challenging the quality uh, perception of, of our industry. I think if you compared, you know, a premium steel product um, to anything else out there, a customer would just be blown away. But, you know, if you put a non-warrantied poly paint system out on a roof that's on a highway that everybody goes by, it might be dark green when it's installed and in two years it's lime green. And then the community expects that every roof will act that way. And again, that's what we're trying to, to um, educate people on. And that's what we're really trying to protect from happening right now with the cost of materials um, going up and, and the threat of maybe inferior products sneaking in. Makes a lot of sense. I remember when I was growing up, um, it was actually Japan where we were starting to see a lot of products come in, consumer products, not even, this is even pre-electronics, but like household products. And you'd turn it over and there'd be this real small stamp made in Japan. And was like, oh, and, you know, the, the country has changed, but, or countries, but, you know, the reality is that, you know, there's always this concern that there could be inferior products come can be great products come in from offshore too. Um, no, no disputing that either. But uh, So you had alluded to me the other day that you have some thoughts regarding the steel industry and its future. And I'm kind of curious uh, if you could share that with us, uh, what it is you're thinking there. Well, you know, for me, I, I just think the future is steel. I mean, really, as more and more people are becoming educated on what steel can be used for, I think a lot of people are really surprised. You know, I still have people say, oh, I didn't know metal roofing was even really a thing that was used for residential application. I thought it was just for for barns. You know, so for for me, it's it's realizing that there's still a ton of people out there that need to be informed and educated on the products that we offer. Um, and some of the things that I kind of made a note here, but uh, steel is the most recycled product in the world, you know, so as we're talking about the three R's of, um, you know, sustainability, reduce, reuse, recycle, steel's kind of the, the perfect solution for that. Um, you know, as far as reducing um, energy, you know, you've got you've got um, reflectivity that comes along with steel price. Most of the products are Energy Star certified, right? And so, um, and this applies to aluminum as well. I know you guys deal sure. in the aluminum world as well. It, it really complements very, very well. As far as the reuse side of things, we have people all the time who 
take down a structure that they don't need anymore and take the roofing and go and put it on something else or make a fence out of it. We even had a wildlife expert in the area come and get some some scrap panels from our facility. He was going to put it out in the woods and observe snakes. You know, that come in and, 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 you know, hang out under there. And that was just kind of like a cool use. You know, you don't have to throw it in the in the landfill. It can be reused for something. And then, of course, as far as the, you know, the the mills, um, you know, the, the micro mills and the, or the arc furnaces that are starting to come online, they primarily are working with scrap steel. You know, so anybody who's really looking for sustainability and recyclability, I think that steel is just such a great solution as we move forward. And then you start talking about. What else can steel be used for? Like steel framing or studs for homes? You know, that wasn't really in the conversation much before. And then lumber, you know, hit the hit the, the, the roof and people started right. talking about it again. And then people started talking about barn dominiums. 20 years ago, would you think people <laughs> would want to live in a barn? And now it's like, it's what people want. And it's so exciting yeah. to hear that that's the trend that's coming. I just think that everybody can find applications to use a product that, um, is so versatile, is able to be recycled and reused in a really healthy way. Um, I really just feel like the more people learn about the steel industry, the more they're going to realize it's such a healthy part of of, of really any uh, economic or um, a- any part of um, a- any segment. I mean, think of think of any type of segment that doesn't use steel or can't use a steel product for at least some type of substitute product. Uh, it's just such a great product that even like think of the Etsy stores that you see, right? The corrugated panels that are cut out and their letters and they're decorative. Like, that's great. Look at what it's so versatile. Um, I'm excited. I could talk about steel uh, products all day, so I'll, I'll kind of end it there. But uh, <laughs> the, the American Iron and Steel Institute said that the U.S. recycles enough scrap steel every day to build 25 Eiffel Towers. Wow. Which is, you know, is there any other product out there that can be reused like that? Um, I don't think so. Wow. That's incredible. Changing gears a little bit. um, I know that our companies have some real synergy in the form of wanting to have a positive influence in our communities and our industry and even in the world. And for both of our companies, a lot of that comes from a very deep Christian faith. Um, I know that your company, Best Buy Metals, has been very active in supporting um, people in Haiti. Um, Just kind of curious, how did that come to be, and what role does that activity play in your company today? Yeah, sure. So uh, our owner, Isaac Libby, had actually been doing missions work with his church in Haiti uh, even before he started Best Buy Metals in 2002. So this has been ongoing, you know, for a long time. Um, And, you know, as Best Buy Metals began to grow and as uh, he had some uh, as Isaac had some resources that were available, you know, he started taking those resources to the people in Haiti, you know, and and he has so much over there. Really, I think his heart uh, to serve people shines really um, brightly over there with the, the people who are in need. And that's one of the you know, one of the messages that you know he comes back and he often takes our staff over there with him. Anybody who wants to go, he'll take them over. And the message is always like, you don't really realize what we have here, you know, in the United States. You don't really realize what true poverty is until you get to a place like like Haiti. And for Isaac to take the resources, you know, he could go out and buy houses and cars and, you know, do do, you know, whatever he wants to do really, but, um, you know, he's really committed to caring for people well over there. So, uh, he actually, um, oversees and, and owns a, a, an orphanage over there. 
uh, Arms of Hope uh, Children's Home. Uh, and they've got about 20, 25 kids on a pretty regular basis that are kind of coming through. They also sponsor 150 kids through a school system over there. They have a nutrition program where they'll take like these nutrition, almost like peanut butter packs out and they'll go to the local communities and try to identify the people in in greatest need. And, And that's, he always tells me that's the hardest part. You know, you have to you can't help everybody and you have to kind of find the people in greatest need, which is you know normally the kids. They've got a, a really great widow's ministry over there as well, where they're taking care of widows who, you know, if they don't have any support they're it's really tough for them. So we, we've, we've built a lot of homes over there. Um, you know, we've done a lot of work for, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the general community that that we're with over there and that Isaac's with over there. We even sent a standing seam machine over there, one that kind of, it, we just, we had replaced it here with a newer model. It still works fine. It's electric, runs off a generator. So, um, you know, we've got thoughts of maybe trying to create some job opportunities for the community over there with a metal roofing um, system or metal roofing opportunity. So those are just some of the things that we do. But yeah, Isaac and his wife, Angel, they go over there almost every month. It's been a little bit disrupted, you know, with with the pandemic, but they're over there very, very regularly. They're very, very involved with what's going on over there. And again, for our team to see the leader of our company expressing his heart to those people, it really makes it easy for us to express that same kind of love and care to the people in our communities. Um, and I, I think that that's kind of the driving force behind our focus on customer service and caring for people well. Wow, that's tremendous. God bless you all. I know uh, you've been to Haiti once, twice? Yep, just once. once so yeah. um, Seth and I's first connection actually was when he kind of uh, tricked me into going on a missions trip to Tijuana, actually. But uh how life-changing that is for everybody, and that's fantastic, uh, Isaac, uh, taking team your team members uh, on that kind of experience because it, yeah, it truly is life-changing. Um, curious, um, changing gears again, if you were to look at someone who's just now getting involved in the construction industry, um, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you make yourself different than everybody else who's already in the space. I mean, there are very few original ideas and original models uh, out there. Um, And if you come up with one, good for you and run with it. But if you're copying a model or if you're moving into a model that you've been trained or equipped or have some experience in, really the first thing I would say is make it focus on quality service and a quality product. You know, there are a lot of people who can come and have inferior service and can have an inferior product, and they might be able to sustain for a period of time. But I I do believe that only the people who are offering the best service complemented by the best products are going to have um, enough attraction from a customer base to grow. I, I think that there's just enough people in there doing it at a mediocre level, if you start blending into the gray, you're not going to find opportunities. Um, you know, everybody can sell something cheap. And actually, Todd, you mentioned this when we were, last time we were together. It becomes a race to the bottom. You know, if you're if you're trying to sell based off price alone, um, you know, how do you get a lower price? buy a cheaper product, you pay less for your people, you know, and the value of the service and the value of the product goes down to the bottom until it's something the customer doesn't even want anymore. Um, The other thing I would say is, you know, build something that's hard to replicate. Um, You know, that's one of the models that we have at Best Buy Metals. We think that what we do is it is complicated. You know, I think, Todd, you may have alluded to it. You know, we're 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 pretty complex by design. We don't want anybody to 
copy what we're doing, you know, and uh, build something that's 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 really hard to replicate. And that can be from a service standpoint, too. Like if you walk into any of our facilities, our team smiling, greeting, offering coffee and water consistently, we're doing that all the time. You don't think that that's very hard, but who else does that? You know, it's, it's a right. hard thing to replicate because you have to get people bought into the fact that that's the right thing to do. And that's tough. And I guess my last piece of advice would be find a mentor or mentors, find people who are doing things well, find people that you admire, you know, and, and make sure that you're admiring good characteristics and not um, shallow characteristics. Like they make a lot of money or they they drive a flashy car, you know, find people who have created successful businesses who treat people really well. You know, I think that's one of the things that allows us to retain our best team members here is that we're connected with them and we try to treat them really, really well. Um, but finding mentors who can help you discover um, hardships. And I think the message is a mentor kind of is like a time machine. They'll, they'll skip you ahead. You know, you may still experience some of, uh, of the hardships of learning and, and that experience is healthy, but you may not have to live in that space um, longer than, than you need to if you have somebody there who's helping you understand um, some of the hardships that, that come with, with living there too long. So my last question for you, I'm curious, um, what do you see as, and you've talked about a lot of things already, a lot of good good stuff, but what do you see as being some of the primary driving factors and how we build and remodel going forward? Um, and do you see any changes that we can expect in regards to construction products and practices. And you've touched on a lot of things already about sustainability and energy efficiency. Anything else you see as being big driving factors? Well, you know, it's we live in the information age, right? And so, this, again, this may feel a little bit redundant, but customers have more access to information than they've ever had before. They know what they want differently than they ever knew what they wanted before. And so we have a responsibility to be sharp and be experts of our craft and still be able to wow customers who are really well-educated with our level of expertise. And I think that's really going to continue to be the driving force to getting better is that we're going to have to say, okay, well, it's not good enough for me just to know how to install a ridge cap anymore. I've got to be able to talk about airflow efficiencies and why we need to use vented parts. And I need to be able to talk about the fade um, measurements on a roofing system so I can better explain a warranty. Um, I, I think that, you know, those are some of the things uh, customers access to information is definitely something that will continue to drive us. I think there's some great innovation. I think just naturally that happens when an industry starts to expand and grow. Um, you know, we saw uh, fasteners change and some of the through fastener again, that's that's our space. Some of the through fastener technology has really uh, evolved because this, the, the providers saw the need. They, they saw a gap in our technology and they went out and they were innovative. And I think we're going to see paint. Um, it's, it's about due for another upgrade. I think that we're going to see some of the major paint providers coming out with technology that's brand new and that's really exciting and things that will help shock our customers um, with, with new information. Because I think if we're constantly living in a space where customers already know about it, it's going to be really hard for us to continue to wow them and get them excited about what we're doing. So I think we as you know, manufacturers, we have a responsibility to hold our partners um, accountable to continue to be innovative and create. And we have a responsibility to continue to do the same uh, ourselves and train our teams uh, to get our customers excited. 
I love that. The idea that, hey, we're going to be pushing toward more value, um, providing better products and, and more value we can sell out there. And that really helps differentiate us from some of that, you know, inferior competition that's going to inevitably pop up also. So good stuff. Anything else we haven't talked about today that you'd like to share with us? Well, we've covered a lot today. Um, I'll, I'll kind of just end by saying, you know, I think that um, taking care of, of, of people and, and, and I think that's when we talk about what the pandemic did, uh, I think it really shook a lot of people uh, back to um, the center of humanity and caring for people well. I know not everybody, but that's been my experience is that we've had a lot of uh, a lot of even competitors call in and check on us and see how we're doing. And it didn't feel like it was in, a, in an aggressive way. And, and, and I think that um, this is a great opportunity for us to kind of set the benchmark of being kind, operating with integrity, treating the market correctly and treating our customers the way that they should be treated and holding that benchmark and not letting it slide back to a place where it was just easy. You know, when it was easy, it's kind of easy to just be like, oh, that customer doesn't know. I'm going to put another five points on this project and they don't have to know about it. Like, um, I think we're to a place where we were shaken a little bit and everybody started to care about people a little bit more again. And I would just really love to see that be a benchmark that we hold tight to. Um, that may, be not, that may, may not be related to uh, the steel world, but uh, it definitely was part of the disruption that I experienced uh, over the last you know 18 months or so. Oh, good information and, and good stuff for any business out there um, as far as where to keep their focus. Um, good stuff. Thank you. Well, this has been great. Um, before we close out, so you knew you know nothing about this, um, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to participate in our rapid-fire questions. All right, let's do it. <laughs> These are seven questions. They may range from silly to serious. Um, just give your quick answer off the top of your head. Um, and again, the audience needs to know you know nothing about this. So here we go. Um, dream vacation. I went to Grenada a couple of years ago, and I got to say, going out there and just there's nothing to do except hang out at the resort. And that was just fine by me. So that's kind of my dream vacation. If I had a babysitter for my kids for a couple of days, that might not hurt either. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, by the way, you get another one on the way here shortly as well. Yeah, in a couple months. Yeah. Exciting. How many books do you read or listen to a year roughly? Yeah. Oh, traveling to Charlotte uh, more this year has certainly resulted in my audio books going up. Um, probably, I probably read about 10 books a year and most of those wow. are focused on, on business and development. My audiobooks are sometimes a little more casual, uh, enjoyment, you know, some, some, uh, fiction. Uh, so you know, probably, probably 10 to 15 a year. Good stuff. Number of emails you send a day. Ooh. <laughs> um, I actually, I actually tallied this up uh, a couple of months back. Uh, I was probably around 120. Um, I scaled that back a little bit as I've asked some of our leadership to, st to, to step up and help me out a little bit. But yeah, there's a, about pro probably about 100 emails a day. Wow, that's a bunch. Weirdest thing you've ever eaten? You know, uh, during the pandemic, I ordered in some chocolate-covered grasshoppers from Amazon, and <laughs> me and my five-year-old daughter, we snacked on them, and... Uh, that they were they were fine. It was a little bit bizarre though. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. I gotta check those out on Amazon now. Now you're giving me a challenge. Have you ever cut someone else's hair? 
not a, a person. I guess I've cut many of my pet's hairs. Uh, no, I have not. Uh, I, I use the clippers. Does that count? Buzzing somebody's sure. head? Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll let yeah. That my count. younger brother. I, I actually got him uh, on accident one time, so we had to go. <laughs> we had to do the whole thing. <laughs> I, I remember my wife once um, cut our toddler's hair, and I swear the poor kid looked like some wild animal that had been caught in a forest fire for weeks. It was just horrendous. Well, my wife just did that with my youngest about a month ago, and he had kind of that straight scissor line right over his ear. You know, it's, <laughs> it's still there. It's just a little bit lower now. <laughs> if you ever owned a yacht, maybe you do. I don't know. What would you name it? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I'm terrified of I'm terrified of the ocean, so maybe this can be a, a yacht for for a lake. Um, I don't know. Well, we can catch that one next time. Yeah, harpoon. I'm trying to think of like something steel related. You know, I can't really think of anything steel related. Best, best buy would be nice. That'd be yeah, the best perfect. best yeah best buy best buy pontoons something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, earn some points. Your wife's name. That's that's what there you, you got to go. do. There so go. we'll we'll yeah. tell her that was your answer. Well, so. she tells everybody that her nickname is Cobra. I don't really know why. So maybe we can call the yacht Cobra. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. Final seventh question. Any hidden talents? You know, I can work like a 16-hour day, six days a week, and uh, it doesn't really take its toll on me like it does to most people. I don't know if that counts or not, but that's, uh, that's kind of the space I've been living in for a little while. I'll tell you, that's, that's the mark of a lot of leaders out there right now, that's for sure. Lots of hard work going into propelling this country forward, that's for sure. Fantastic. Well, this has been great, Adam. Thank you so much. Um, really enjoyed our time together. Um, tell me, why why might someone want to connect with you? And if they wanted to, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I really like to do is be um, a resource for people in the industry. Um, you know, so if anybody wanted to reach out to me, Adam at BestBuyMetals.com. You can go to BestBuyMetalRoofing.com to, you know, see everything that we have going on here. We also have uh, Metal Roofing University. Uh, it's a podcast that we do to help educate homeowners and contractors on the value of metal roofing. So um, any of those methods would be fine. And, and I certainly love the opportunity to speak with people in the industry who may just have uh, questions or, or even some feedback. Maybe they didn't like something that I said or, uh, and, they, and they want to talk about it. I certainly welcome that as well. Good stuff. And I got to compliment you on knowing which shoulder to go over because if you told me right or left and looking into a monitor, I wouldn't have a clue. I practiced that before we started just to make <laughs> sure we could get it on the show. <laughs> Good job. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Construction Disruption with our special guest, Adam Clark of Best Buy Metals, um, a company that really has and is continuing to change the metal roofing industry. Adam, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks so much, thank guys. Thanks, Todd, for setting it up for Adam to come on uh, this episode of Construction Disruption. I thought that was great, uh, exciting to uh, connect with someone so passionate and in in the trenches of our industry. Um and, and that passion just comes through in so many aspects of how he's looking at their business and the industry as a whole. You know, I think the key theme that kept coming up over and over again was this idea of value and how we then differentiate ourselves, uh, all of our products and companies in the marketplace, you know, from multiple different perspectives, you know, this idea of inferior products coming on uh, out to out to market and how we manage that and how we, how we help 
educate consumers on the difference between AZ50 or 55 and the, between mm-hmm. AZ15, something they've never heard about before, something they, they obviously aren't hearing about from those competitors. Something they assume doesn't even exist. I right. Mean, they don't even think about it. No context. So if a product's on the market, we assume the product's going to do what right. it says it's going to do. So in managing that and building that value while we're dealing with all the more empowered consumers and who think they can know everything. Even uh, the internet has empowered them to that point. And, uh, but if they, they don't know what they don't know, they don't know what to Google to define the the metallic coatings that the products they're considering. So I think it just it changes everything at all points of the sales process from marketing, selling to the customer service at the end of it. It's, it's what we all have to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's great when I see you know, young leaders, and I see you guys um, coming up and having that kind of passion because, yeah, I I think there's always a point as you go forward, you kind of wonder, gosh, well, will the next generation really continue the passion of the folks before us? And, you know, one of the things I've heard a lot about um, in my years in the industry has been the guys who were making this industry back in the 50s and 60s and 70s before my generation came along. And, you know, the stories I've heard of uh, about them. And, you know, back then it was more pioneering and it was hard work. And it was um, same thing, though. It was still selling value. Um, but yet here we are today and, you know, how do we keep propelling forward? And great for me to, to see um, younger folks coming into the industry and, and continuing to push it forward because um, it, it's huge. $1.6 trillion in construction in North America and growing. Um, it's huge. It's vital. Um, we see things like the Surfside collapse, and we understand how vital good construction and good products and good attention to maintenance really are. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's encouraging to know that there are folks who are going to keep pushing it forward. Yeah, it's important, and we think about all that ha- you know over the course of your career. You know, the Metal Roofing Alliance, PVDF coatings, all these huge advancements that you've been a part of, pushing that industry forward. It's it's on us. Uh, working together, boomers and millennials, to figure out what the next things are going to be. (laughs) And and it's exciting because what will those next things be? And I know yesterday I met with one of our paint suppliers, and uh, even though there's still a lot of uncertainty out there in the world and then in the supply chain, you know, the thing that kept coming up was we can keep getting better. We can keep doing more of this and doing it better. So that's exciting. It'll be fun to be a part of. Good stuff. I encourage everyone, please watch for future episodes of our podcast. Um, We have more great guests on tap. Don't forget to leave a review or comments um, on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be on YouTube as well. Um, Until then, I encourage all of our listeners, change the world for someone, um, make them smile, bring them encouragement, bring them hope. Um, All of those are some of the most powerful things that we can do to change and disrupt the world. And that's something when you think about it, that a smile may be a disruption to change the world. That's incredible. One interaction at a time. Everyone, God bless. Take care. Uh, This is Isaiah Industries signing off until the next episode of Construction Disruption.